on human trafficking, healthcare provider. Um, I, we're not going to take a long time for introductions, so we want to. We have um, three of us from our panel from Christian Medical and Dental Association are here to um, present a little bit each, and then we're going to have open floor for questions, and we can tell you a little bit of, more about what we do. We just want to kind of make sure we get through it, and when, especially me, talk too much. So um, didn't want to just rush right into it. Just want to say thank you for coming. It's such an important topic, and whether you're in a student or you're a practicing um, clinician or on the mission field, whatever area of life, um, there is a place for you in the prevention, awareness, and fight against human trafficking. This talk is geared towards um, healthcare providers, but we are so glad that all of you are here because, like I say, we're all um, part of this fight. So my name is Charmaine Brooks. This is Jennifer Fisher, and this is Joy Lowe. So we are just happy to be here. And like I said, we'll take more questions at the end, but we're going to dig on it, go on, get on and get started so that um, we have time at the end for that. So this is uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and human trafficking, what healthcare providers need to know. Here's our educational objectives, um, just kind of general, define human trafficking. Um, we'd like you to be able to um, identify and uh, treat traffic victims. And we're going to talk a little bit about the recent trends that are going on right now in um, human trafficking. So some of you probably have um, uh, been aware there's a lot of media um, productions, uh, movies. How many people here have seen the movie Trafficked? Liam Neeson. Oh, Taken. Oh, Taken, Taken. Sorry, Taken. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> there's another one called Traffic that I just saw, but it wasn't with him. <laughs> okay, so how many of you have seen that one? There's, there are actually several called Trafficked. I see some hands. Okay, yeah, so Taken and Trafficked are two movies that are um, depicting um, what we think of as a common uh, form of trafficking. Someone goes to another country and someone takes them and they force them to do things they don't want to do either sexual exploitation or labor. They don't know that person. They got duped into it. That is absolutely what can happen and has happened and it is happening. But that's not the only way. In fact, we'll talk a little more about that as we go on, especially in the United States. So human trafficking is, by definition, when an individual is recruited, harbored, transported, or if you're providing or obtaining an individual for force, fraud, or coercion for either sexual exploitation or labor exploitation. I want to add on to that that for sexual exploitation, it also is when you're patronizing, soliciting, or even advertising an individual by force, fraud, coercion for sexual exploitation. This is important, as we'll talk a little bit more later. Just remember, it's not just a victim is physically transported from one place to another, as it is depicted in those movies. Um, it also, you don't have to be uh, transported or even from another country to be a victim of human trafficking. So just to give you a few statistics, um, I'd like to say that when you look up, if you want to Google or maybe some of you have done research in human trafficking, there are a lot of statistics. Some are very high. Some are low. A lot of people will say these figures are not even scratching the surface. We have 24.9 million people that are believed to be trafficked worldwide. That's a lot. If you just try taking that figure. Um, a third of those are under 18 years old. Again, that's a staggering amount. Um, there's a lot more girls that are trafficking than sex trafficking. Um, and a lot more boys into forced labor. But you find both on both, both sides of this. And the money. Obviously, there's something that's driving this. Um, one of the biggest factors that's driving it is the profit. It's $150 billion profit from human trafficking. Again, figures can be up or down. This is a, a very secretive, uh, underground type of activity, so it's very hard to give estimates. I like to tell people, if you believe these estimates are really low, you, you possibly could be right. There could be a lot more. If you think, I highly doubt there's that many, then I like to say, just keep in mind, whether this is wholly inflated and there's not that many, there are thousands of victims out there either way. And that's why we, that's why we have our fight. Here's just a few more figures. Um, in the U.S. alone, we believe there's 403,000 living in labor exploitation right now as we sit here. Um, there's uh, victims of theft trafficking that are largely U.S. citizens, 83%, and then under 23 years of age, 87%. It's labor trafficking. Uh, we just have a lot of exploitation going on, and a lot of times it's hard to recognize it or know how to look for it. And we like to show you this map because it just gives a little um, kind of a view of where a lot of the trafficking um, 
calls are coming from. This is from the national, the U.S. National Trafficking Hotline. Um, you can go to the Polaris、um, Project, and they have this listed on their websites. A lot of other trafficking web、um, services or outreaches or、um, humanitarian aid、uh, organizations will have this map because it's very interesting. A lot of people think we don't have trafficking in my state. Well, I encourage you to look at your state, see what state you have, <laughs> and what city, and you can see that every state is、um, every state is on there. The red are the hot spots. There's lots,、um, but if you see even in the you know Midwest where there's less, there still are trafficking calls coming in. Also, I'd like to point out this is just one of the、um, one of the places where we have figures, just the calls that come in, not counting、um, where I live on the Texas-Mexico border. This wouldn't necessarily be counting. Those that just come across the border. These are just calls, just to give you an idea.、Um, and why is this relevant? Probably some of you know who work in healthcare that、um, as of 2019, this is a required update that、um, clinicians have to have about identifying and assisting victims of human trafficking. It's pretty important for them to put that on the list. If you think of all the issues and problems we have today,、um, I want you to take a look at this list.、Um, you might be thinking, okay, I know in the Brothels and places that where you can buy prostitution, prostitutes. That would be obviously where people would sell a girl to、um, be prostituted, and that's true. However, there's a great long list of、um, places where、um, people are exploited: individuals, young girls, young boys, girls and men and women, anywhere from construction in pornography. We'll talk about that a little later.、Um, domestic work in houses. You might have heard of some cases in New York where they found. Um, girls working as a maid and locked in a cellar and just、uh, wasn't able to come out. Worked day and night as nannies.、Um, just the list goes on. You can read through that、um, later. Get the slides.、Um, so why? Why is there this?、Um, wh- why has slavery come back? All of you went to elementary school and you studied、um, history, where we learned about slavery was abolished here in the U.S. and across the world. Most countries have abolished it. There are some that are still kind of. Getting there, so why is it now such a big resurgence?、Um, there's a couple main reasons. I like to say the top ones would be、uh, poverty, vulnerability, and demand. There's others, and they're listed here.、Um, but the, one of the reasons we have had so many、um, across the across the world, not just the U.S., is is poverty.、Uh, a lot of people are desperate and. In desperate situations,、um, other individuals can take advantage of those in- individuals.、Um, sometimes it's ignorance; you don't know that it exists. That you,、uh, young people, often get caught up in the trafficking trade because they didn't realize that someone was lying to them.、Um, there's also、uh, youth that ran away. We'll talk about that again a little bit more, so I won't get into it right now. Then there's ongoing demand.、Um, if there was not a market for individuals to be used, then There would not be any slavery because there wouldn't be a demand for it. But unfortunately, there's a great demand for、um, young girls in pornography, in the brothels, in houses that are being exploited, and that's troubling. This、um, this slide just points out that、um, there's a lot of layers to this. It's not just as simple as、um, someone came from another country. They got duped into working in a in a brothel or in a house or in a farm and doing labor. Someone's not letting them go. It's not just that simple. Because you think, why don't they get out? Why don't they run away? How'd they get in there in the first place? There's a lot in our society and in the community in that individual that can kind of all mix together. Where、um, what you call the perfect storm, and a lot of individuals find themselves in one or more of these situations. People that I've talked to, again, I, I work in the、um, I work in international countries, but even on the Texas-Mexico border, most of the people had multiple on this list. You know, they have maybe some kind of home life where they were abused. They're coming in a poverty situation. They don't have support their home country or their community, and it just is just leads into this being a victim where you would think, I don't understand that. It's complex. Just wanted to show you that to kind of get an idea that it's not a simple answer. It's not a simple fix.、Um, I want to talk about、um, two trends since 2020. As you know, one, of course, the pandemic. <laughs> so the COVID-19 has created so much、um, chaos and upheaval of lives,、um, including many in this room.、Um, 
as far as human trafficking, it's, it's not been left untouched. If you think about it, um, the crisis at the border plus the pandemic even made it worse. So let me talk about the price of the border. You've seen the news where in the last few months, two, two or three years, just the influx of immigrants coming in. And it's, believe me, it's crazy. What you see is only a drop in the bucket. Um, so worldwide, there's about 280 illegal, not illegal, but migrants in the world. Um, in the U.S. alone, 1.7 illegal immigrants came across just in June of this year. I'm not talking about the whole year, just June. That number in June surpassed last year for the whole year. So if you can kind of put that in context, we're getting just surges of people. Again, in June of this year, just June, we had 752 unaccompanied minors that were illegal coming across the border a day. That's a lot. It is just a lot. So if you start your engines working up here, you're going, okay, how can the Border Patrol and the Border Agents possibly process these in, in, in a timely manner? They can't. They're overwhelmed. Especially when we have, the studies have shown that 60% of these unaccompanied minors are actually victims of human trafficking, either before they got to the border, someone's trafficking them, or when they get there. And you might ask, well, why would that be? Well, sometimes when the border is too overwhelmed, the agents, the refugee, I don't know if some of you might be working in refugee um, situations where um, we process them, the U.S. is processing them, they're completely overwhelmed, as we stated. But they don't have time to make sure that that uncle that's coming that says, that's my, that's my um, nephew, um, he came from El Salvador, I'm going to take him home. They literally just don't have time to go do background checks and criminal checks and make sure that really is him. They do the best they can. Um, but with the sheer numbers that I just gave you, that's not happening. And so you have a lot of individuals going out from, that came in here to the U.S. that are going out into um, places where they're actually going to be exploited. Um, so that's often with children, um, but it can be anybody. Um, also in the pandemic, just want to point out before I pass this on to my colleague, um, the pandemic has also created, in addition to the crisis of the border, the pandemic across the U.S. and across the world has created just extra um, layer of human trafficking that now we have to process through. Because people that were maybe able to get around and, and try to find work outside their home were locked in their house, not able to get out. Um, that has led to more desperate people. Um, I have a friend in Mexico who used to be, um, he would sell apples on the street and he was not able to because everyone had to stay in. Well, in America, we're very blessed that we have a lot of times um, help from the government or some other means or you don't have to pay your rent for three months. You could wait. They didn't have that. And so, you know, he ended up going through trash cans. This is just, this is not necessarily person who would be doing this any other time. He didn't grow up like this. He has a family. He has a daughter. We're pretty sure his daughter's being trafficked now. It just leads to desperate situations from the pandemic. Um, and there's a lot more there. People are higher at risk um, just because of, here's a list of um, some of the um, reasons besides that part. Like a lot of the police in, in countries are, um, that were used to be doing following human trafficking and, and trying to make sure that The, um, their task force was on beat, got taken away, and we're making sure that people had their masks on, making sure that, um, that the, whatever the pandemic rules were for a, a business or a restaurant. And I've see, talked to several people in various countries that say, our human trafficking task force just got on hold. So what do you think happened to the, the people that are trafficking, the pimps, the traffickers? They went up while everyone else was kind of doing other things. So the pandemic just was... A real, real big impact on um, human trafficking in general. So I'm going to pass this on so we can keep talking uh, about this a little more. If I can get this off. <laughs> There you go. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Joy. Um, I'm a pediatrician, and I'm just going to talk about children and trafficking a little bit once I get that set up. Okay. I'm going to reset my clock. All right. So um, as you can imagine, children and youth are uniquely vulnerable. You saw that um, slide where we had the you know, different layers, the community, the individual, the societal um, layers. But children and youth, as you can see, are, are uniquely vulnerable. First of all, they're, they're developmentally 
appropriately, but immature, right? So they don't know how to make um, decisions well. They have poor judgment. They're very impulsive and we're thinking, especially of teens. But of course, younger children are also at risk for trafficking, very much so. Their sexual curiosity, limited life experience. So they're trying to figure things out. They're trying to figure out who they are, their identity, their coping skills, um, how to deal with certain things. And so they don't really know how to deal with... Um, certain difficulties or even just normal difficulties in their lives if they have some of the other um, risk factors that were mentioned in that previous slide. Um, teenagers, as you know, if anybody has a teenager or works with teenagers or even just sees them on TV, obviously they desire independence, they test their boundaries, they argue with their parents, right? They think everybody else is better than people at home. And so all these things just do make them a little bit more vulnerable to being tricked by somebody outside their family um, or for, by somebody who may not have such good intentions. Um, they do get a lot of risk-taking, a lot of peer pressure. They really, really want to fit in, right? And you think about stigma, right? So um, not only do they want to fit in, but it's like you think about boys, you know boys are trafficked, right? But we rarely hear about them. And actually our numbers are very, very low for boys. And part of it is the stigma, right? So even if they are trafficked or abused or taken advantage of, there's that stigma of how they don't want to come forth, right? They even say that in child abuse, you know, boys do not want to come forth and sort of seem like they're weak or sissies or something like that. And so, um, they are dependent upon their adults in their lives. Then this one's huge, right? And they don't have any legal rights. Um, foster children are at high, high risk for trafficking compared to non-foster children. And you think about it, these children are just completely dependent on the people, the adults in their lives who have the housing, who send them to school or not, who make them do things, who feed them or not. They have to ask permission. Um, to sleep, to use the bathroom, to be fed. So um, um, they are very dependent on their adults. And as we all know, there's a very high internet and social media usage in young people. Um, I myself am on my phone a lot, but I'm a little bit smarter just because I've lived a little bit longer. But you think about all the social media use, and I know everybody's already seen on the news like Facebook and Twitter and all this kind of stuff that happens in the, uh, in the underground and how children are lured in by people they don't know um, who maybe pretend to be kids, um, maybe on a gaming app, or pretend to love them, pretend to be the one that, you know, is going to love them forever and thinks they're just, you know, the most wonderful person in the world. Um, so high internet and social media use, desire to fit in, and then, yes, the normal teen conflict with parents and caretakers. So in terms of child victims, identified child victims of human trafficking have tripled over the past 15 years. And it may not be that the numbers have actually tripled. It may be that we're just becoming more aware. But it is alarming anyway, because we still think it's underestimated. So we'll see in the next 15 years how, how much higher that number gets. Um, um, Charmaine already went over this, but girls mostly are used for commercial sex, although they are um, sometimes in labor, and boys mostly are used for forced labor, although sometimes they are in um, commercial sex, and um, a lot of times there's a lot of overlap as well, so sometimes uh, a person can get both trafficked for sex and labor. Um, and then in 2018, just to give you some more numbers, identified human trafficking victims, 50% were women, 20% were girls, 20% men, and 15% boys. And this is worldwide. This is not just in America. Um, Charmaine went over some of these, but in terms of children being specifically at risk for human trafficking during COVID-19, um, the center, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in the year 2020, which, um, you know, was when the pandemic hit us, um, their cyber tip line increased by 28%. And then um, at, at the same thing for the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Their hotline tips for sex trafficking increased by more than 45%. So um, there's a lot of factors in this. Uh, financial stress, job losses of adults and youth, so um, again, everybody's stressed out, everybody's not feeling well, everybody's home together and stressing each other out. Children are not getting out and doing something protective and good. Um, 
and losses, um, deaths of caretakers. Um, so, you know, some of these children and young people have lost the people who are caring for them and protecting them. Social isolation leads to a decrease in people who can be protective for you, like your friends who are looking out for you, your teachers who are looking out for you, coaches. It also leads to, it led to more mental health issues, which I'm sure everybody is completely aware of. And then, and then it led to just the inability to find other people to, um, to protect you. Um, increase online activity. We all know everybody went to school online, but that also meant that they were online for longer and they were online for more unsupervised hours. And I would say the internet has kind of leveled the playing field a little bit in terms of trafficking because now you can lure um, just about anybody. Like so many, just about everybody is on the internet at some point, right? And and as I said before, children, just mentally speaking, emotionally speaking, psychologically speaking, they, they are vulnerable. And so you can, you can pluck something, somebody from trafficking in you know, a good neighborhood that you think is safe, right? Just as well as you can pluck somebody from a neighborhood maybe that is not as safe. Um, increased exposure to family dysfunction, again, so everybody's home, everybody's stressed. Um, there was a very large, a very good concern about an increase of child, child maltreatment at home during the pandemic when everybody was home um, and, and more domestic violence. And then decreased prevention identification opportunities. So studies have shown that for calls to DCFS for child abuse, the highest number of calls come from teachers. So you think about it, like highest by far, teachers are the ones who really identify these kids. So they're not going to school. They are not being identified. Um, second most important was um, law enforcement, right? And then the third is healthcare workers. So all of us in healthcare, you know, we have a big job to do. Um, and, and we can really help a lot of kids, or actually people. Um, and then social services, right? So there used to be a lot of social services. DCFS went to like, they didn't go to their offices, right? Like you think about this sort of that first line of protection for kids and they couldn't even go to their offices. They had to work from home. Um, other services like um, therapies and anti-trafficking organizations and um, just so, uh, I know like um, law enforcement, like judges and um, courts, um, they were not going to court. So um, all that sort of um, stuff got put on hold, and that did not benefit anyone, sadly. Okay, um, how, many of, how many of you know what the HEADS assessment is? It would be people who work with kids. So this is a really great tool. Um, there's so many ways to approach a trafficking, uh, a person who you suspect might be trafficked or might have some other trauma, not just trafficking. Um, but we use this in, in pediatrics to sort of get to sort of the questions we'd like to ask teenagers. So home environment, I'm just going to throw out some questions that might be more specific to trafficking, but of course you want to use it to whatever situation you're doing, right? If you think something's going on at home or think they're being bullied, things like that. But like, where do you live? Who do you live with? Do you get to sleep? Do you have a bed? Do you sleep on your bed? When do you sleep? Do you actually attend school? One of the highest signs of um, somebody being trafficked is truancy. When they're missing a lot of school, and that's why teachers are really good at identifying people, uh, when they miss a lot of school, that is a red flag for some, some kid being trafficked or exploited. Have you ever run away? Homeless and run away have a high risk for being trafficked as well. Um, what is your job? Do you get paid for your job? Do you get paid fairly? Do you get paid what they promised you? Do they make you do things that they said they, that you shouldn't be doing? Um, does anybody at work threaten you? Um, how do you get food and money for things that you need? Do you owe anyone money? Um, how often do you eat? So that's the eating part. How often do you get to eat? And that can get to a lot of things, but sometimes youth or adults will trade sex or labor just to eat, just to get food in their belly just to have a place to sleep. Sometimes it's to get drugs because they're hooked on something. Um, have you ever traded sex for food, money, drugs, a place to live, or to avoid getting hurt? Um, obviously, you know, there's threats. There's the other part of it. It's not just to get something. It's just to stay safe. Or it's to keep your sister safe. Or it's to keep your parents safe. Um, a lot of traffickers threaten people's families. Um, 
Has anyone ever asked you to have sex with another person? Has anyone taken a sexual picture of you or asked for a sexual picture of you? And of course, you're going to word this appropriately to whoever you're seeing. Um, have you ever had problems with the police? Kids in the juvenile justice system have a high, high um, incidence of being trafficked. Um, has anyone ever given you drugs that you didn't know about? So you think about a lot of kids who are trafficked. They are on drugs, but a lot of times they're forced to be on drugs as a measure of control. Um, have you ever been forced to drink alcohol? Do you have a boyfriend or girlfriend? How old are they? So another red flag would be a young girl with an old boyfriend. Old. I say 20-something, but, you know, like <laughs> age inappropriate, I would say. Um, have you had an STI? So there's um, the sign where, you know, the more STIs you have, you... STI? Oh, sorry, yes, sexually transmitted infection, gonorrhea, chlamydia, herpes, all those, um, or been pregnant. So um, some of these girls have had a lot of pregnancies and abortions or miscarriages. Um, and then... Mental health is a huge one. Always, always ask about mental health. A lot of our of the girls that I have known, they show up with mental health issues to the um, ED, the emergency room, or their um, their healthcare worker, um, and they show up with depression. They show up with anxiety. They show up with PTSD, uh, post traumatic um, syndrome, stress syndrome. Excuse me. <laughs> um, and then lastly, do you feel safe? Is anyone making you do, pushing you to do, asking you to do something you don't want to do? They could say, yeah, my parents don't want me to come home at 10 o'clock. But then you're like, okay, if that's your worst problem, you're good. So, um, okay, so all healthcare providers are mandatory reporters. Every state might be slightly different. Uh, just know what your rules are. But the other big thing about mandatory reporting is just know that legally speaking, Child trafficking falls under the, the head of child abuse. So even if the trafficker uh, is not a family member, um, or even if this child is meeting people online, running away, and, and, and staying with some older men, and then coming back home, so there's no third-party trafficker, right? So they're just running away, getting exploited on their own, and coming back home. These all fall under the, the umbrella of child abuse. So it is totally fair game to report, and you should report it. Okay, so just real quickly, if you're working with kids, you want to make sure to screen for trafficking, especially in high-risk populations. Okay, and we gave you the risk factors. Um, and um, screen for vulnerabilities. So, and then education and, education and counseling. So a lot of, like, anticipatory guidance is what we like to say in pediatrics. So talking about healthy relationships, talking about the possibility of violence in your life, right, because a lot of people have trauma, and, uh, most people have trauma or some kind of trauma or violence in their life. Talking about their Internet use and safety, um, concept of exploitation, and um, just making sure you have resources available in your office or in your workplace that you can give out. All right, I'm going to hand it over to Jennifer. Now we're going to talk about sex trafficking. While sex trafficking is actually a smaller statistic part of human trafficking, we hear more about it. A lot of attention is focused on it because it actually brings in more income than the sale of illegal arms or drugs, as was mentioned earlier. Why is that? Well, a drug you sell one time. A person you can sell over and over and over, which is part of the problem that we're facing because so many of the people are hidden. And so we'll talk about for a few minutes uh, what are the tactics that keep people in the situation that they're in? What are the psychological parts? What are the um, physical parts that traffickers use to keep their victims from leaving? Uh, if you've ever owned a little puppy and you have to teach it who's master, so you put it on a leash, and it's a short leash, and you don't let it off the leash. Little bit by little bit, you let the leash out a little longer until they know that you're master, and then maybe you let them off the leash. It's the same kind of psychological training that the victims endure, where sometimes they may be brought in and gang raped. 
Uh, they may be forced to watch pornography to see what their clients are going to want. They um, may be physically in bondage. They may have actual shackles. They may have ligature marks on them when you see them because they've been held in captivity. Um, some of the other talked about um, intimidation. A lot of the traffickers know where their victims live. Even globally, traffickers that go to foreign countries or international countries and to small villages, they know where the person's family lives. And they can always use this as leverage over someone to say, if you don't do this, I'm going to harm your family. A lot of times, um, women or young girls are made to get pregnant and they have an anchor baby so that the trafficker always knows that they can control that person by threatening harm over their baby. Um, some of the other, uh, we talked about, um, well, economic abuse, a lot of them are sold, their passports taken, and they are charged for everything. You know, in America, soap costs $5 a bar, shampoo costs 20 you have to pay for room and board. You have to pay back your flight over here. You have to pay back the trafficker who trafficked you over here. So literally you're in bondage financially for years and years, and you may never get out of bondage. And so it's very uh, disheartening to be in those situations. Um, isolation, a lot of times they're kept in isolation from other people. They um, also move people around a lot so that they don't know where they are. They can't make relationships with other people. A lot of times they don't even know what city they're in. They may not even know where they are. So think globally. They're, um, same thing happening all around the world where some of you may serve or live. Trafficking occurs in every single place around the globe. Um, let's talk about, let's see, and sexual abuse, well, that is sex trafficking, right? So let's talk about some specific identifiers of sex trafficking. Um, this gets a little graphic for those of you who are not healthcare providers, so I'm going to just say if you're triggered by this, feel free to leave. Um, but on exam, you may find, on a vaginal exam, you may find retained objects, such as baby wipes, uh, used tampons, old condoms, Sometimes, uh, because they have to keep working while they're on their periods, they may find like a little sponge or something that's just laying around that they can put in their vagina to keep working. So these are all signs that are not normal if you're working in an environment seeing these patients. They may look disoriented. They may be intoxicated. They may be high on drugs because they are forced to do drugs, and that keeps them dependent on their trafficker. Um, so we talked about some of the things um, in terms of how they're controlled. If you see them and they're very submissive, they won't even look at you in the eye. They will only look down and you know that they are being forced to not challenge someone or to speak to someone as the same level. Someone's in authority over them. Some specific physical identifiers. Are they branded or tattooed with someone's name? Usually it's a man's name. Sorry, guys, but that's usually the traffickers are men. And uh, you may see some big tattoos across a woman's chest, daddy's girl, or a big crown that means that they're the property of someone. Um, we talked about they may have um, ligature marks. They may have cigarette uh, burns. A lot of the same thing as child abuse happens in adults. They may, um, if you're preparing to see a patient, you may see that they've been in for multiple STD checks and pregnancy checks, and they're constantly coming in for the same thing. That should raise a flag that there's something going on. And when I've confronted some of my patients and just like, why are you coming in all the time? Finally, one of them just told me, I'm a sex worker. <laughs> I was like, I was pretty sure I already knew that, but I just wanted to see if she would actually tell me what was going on so that I could help you know, her at least protect herself from uh, STDs. Some people may come to the U.S. or travel around the globe that have diseases from their home country. They may have TB. They may have hepatitis B. They may have untreated syphilis. So it's important to look for chronic diseases that may not have been treated, hypertension, diabetes, as well as 
uh, mental health things that we're going to talk about in a second. Same as in children, 100% depression. As you could imagine if you were trafficked to another country, PTSD in 30 to 70% is probably more like 100%. Excuse me. They suffer panic attacks and phobias, substance abuse. They may just dissociate so that whatever's going on with their body doesn't impact their mind. Um, these are some actual tattoos from patients of mine that said that they gave permission for you to see them because they want other people to be educated about what sex trafficking may look like. So a lot of these, as you can see, are sort of homemade tattoos. And almost always there's going to be um, something about money, something about power. And so that, um, the tattoo on the woman's hand is of a crown, that's the initials of her trafficker. Um, then she had the, she started out as a stripper and then moved up um, to making more money and she was called the Hood Princess because she made a lot of money for her trafficker. And you can see the dollar signs there on the money bag. This is another one on the bottom of her leg. It says something bitch. I can't read it, but y'all probably can. <laughs> All these diamonds. There's always something that indicates money, like you're going to be you know, so rich if you get to do this, even though they're never paid and they never get out of debt. So our job as healthcare providers is to be nosy. Don't just pretend like, oh, everybody's got tattoos. Well, have you ever seen any of these kind of tattoos before? I'm pretty sure you haven't. So when you see them, just say, oh, excuse me, um, have you ever been in the life? Now, this is a term for the U.S. only. The life means, have you ever been a prostitute? And when you say, have you ever been in the life, if they've been in the life, they're going to automatically tell you, and that's what I said to these women. Have you ever been in the life? And they're like, Yes, I have been trying to get out of it, or yes, I got out of it. And so it may seem strange to say that to you, but they know exactly. They think that you know what you're talking about. And so you just go with it and let them talk to you about their life. Um, <clears throat> let's look at some more physical indicators. So we talked about psychological stress, PTSD. They may have sleep deprivation. A lot of times they're not allowed to come back in at night unless they've made their quota for the day or night. So a lot of times they just have to either stay on the streets, sleep somewhere in the bushes or wherever they can. A lot of times they're malnourished because food is withheld as a um, punishment if they didn't meet their goal. We talked about some of the other things that are here. And um, again, look for STDs, sexually transmitted diseases or infections. What can you do? It's important wherever you're serving or wherever you live to do research and find out what's available in my community for human trafficking. What would I do if I found somebody, if I was in a clinic or if I was in the emergency room? Who do I call? What's the process? And so make sure you've done that ahead of time. If you're in training, find out, you know, who's the social service person, um, have they been trained in human trafficking? Just because there are some social workers doesn't mean they've had training in human trafficking. And so you may be the person that needs to train your staff. Um, also, just find out what's available in the community. In Houston, there's a big police force that's been trained in trafficking, and so maybe your community has that as well. You've already heard these questions um, that Joy gave you, the same thing for adults. And just, um, just about to end here, it's important to be aware of trauma-informed care. If you haven't heard that term, it's important to find out what that means because uh, the patients, the victims, have already been traumatized over and over and over again. And we don't want to use an opportunity to educate ourselves at their expense that may traumatize them all over again. So you want to give them some choices. You want to give them some control of what's happening in an exam room, you may say, I'm going to have to examine you. Um, I also have to do a vaginal exam. Do you want me to do your uh, exam up here first, or do you want to do the vaginal exam first? That seems like something small, but no one's maybe asked them, what did they want? So give them some control and establish rapport. 
you don't have the right to say, um, I'm here to help you and I'm going to you know, get you out of this situation. No, you're not a safe person for them. They just met you. For all they know, you're on the same side as the police. So don't say things like that. Just be there to help them in that moment and to listen and to ask the important questions. Simple. Are you okay? Are you in a safe place? Many of the women that have been interviewed, young women, in the emergency department were scantily clad. And they said, if somebody just said, are you okay? We would have broken down and told you our story. Um, so just ask simple questions. It's not complicated. It's just think about if you were trafficked and someone asked you if you're okay. There's a pipeline from every country to other countries. In the U.S., China is um, one of the biggest traffickers of women in the Asian brothels. The average age is 42. I'm pretty sure she didn't wake up and say, I'm going to leave my family and go over to America and be a prostitute. There are cantinas all along the border towns um, run by Mexican cartel. And then there are women that just walk the streets that are the local women from the local area. So know that there are a lot of different areas and types of trafficking just to have an awareness. And so I'm going to stop here so we can have some questions. Okay, thank you very much, Joy and Jennifer. Um, so we would like to um, end our part right here. We're going to open it up for um, questions. Um, if any of you have something that was brought up during the presentation or um, maybe something you were already thinking about or an experience you had or if you'd like to share something that you have seen in your um, clinic or your situation, um, we do have um, a couple slides um, just for information. This is you know, some numbers uh, to, for you to um, call for the national hotline. Um, do your local research because, like Jennifer just said, there are organizations uh, in every state. I, I wish there was every city. That's our goal. <laughs> but right now, at least in every state, there's, there's an organization, be it federal or nonprofit, that's trying to fight human trafficking. And some would love your help. <laughs> Put that little pitch up there. We also have, um, this is an example for those of you who are parents or work with kids or those of you who are going to be parents one day. You need to know about these apps. And you can find this online. It's called 21 Apps, so you can look that up or take a screenshot or you can ask us for the slides later and it will be on there. Um, this is just different ones a lot of times that traffickers get into and use posing as um, a teenage friend or a, a hot boyfriend. Or um, Some of these you might want to know not to do with trafficking just because that's something that uh, your teen might be into. It's a really helpful slide. So questions. And a few more. So there's, and there's another one you can look at too. So do we have any uh, questions? Okay. I don't have a question. I just wanted to mention that today is the last day of the Coalition to Find Sexual to End Sexual Exploitation. Have been having an online uh, summit mm -hmm. the last two day, three days, and I you can mm -hmm. pay, and then you can get everything uh, that has happened. You can download. I paid because I was coming here. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because I did too. I wasn't able to go to it, but I'm glad you brought that up. So there's a lot of thank you for there's a lot of good resources and summits and seminars that you can log into, and a lot of them you can. Get, I know that one you can get access and watch at any time of the year if you weren't able to turn virtually. Yes. Uh, anybody else have something you like? So, okay, we have several in the room. I'll start here and go around. So, go ahead with you. So, does um, like, 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 uh, like running away to do like running the circus, is that like, is that like a UGS sign of that as well or no? Like, you read like, you, like, you like different stories and see like different movies. Is, uh, are they like something related to there or no? You mean like if a young person runs away and joins the circus? Yeah. Um, so that's not necessarily trafficking. Um, if they are paid a fair wage and are not um, abused or exploited. So that can just be a young person's decision. Now, running away to join a circus probably puts them in a very, very vulnerable spot um, to be exploited. So that's correct. There's a difference there. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm going to let you call them. Go ahead. Can you stand up so we can hear you?
Yeah, that's excellent. So for those of you who are on virtually, um, we have a diabetes educator here who had a patient who kept coming back in diabetic ketoacidosis. And so the main issue there is someone in her facility did ask the right question and turned out she was not in a safe place, this patient. And so that is an excellent point that if you see you know, what we might call frequent flyers in the emergency room or people that come with repeatedly, um, like, poor health care, there, there might be something there to worth, it's worth asking. Thank you. That's excellent. So that's a very that's a good question, and especially if you're in a healthcare setting, make up some reason to separate the patient from the person's answering all the questions. Whether it's we need to get a urine sample or we need to take this person for an X-ray, but think of anything you can to separate the person's answering all the questions. Some hospitals are very innovative and. Um, they'll call the person on the phone and say, are you safe? Or, you know, just try to work around the person that seems to be controlling. So that's really good. And I think someone else had a question. I think that there is a big market for um, the questions about black market or under illegal sale of babies, so to speak, for adoption or whatever the scenario is. And there is a big market for that um, in a lot of the poorer countries because that's the way they're going to survive. They may have six kids, so if I can sell one, then I can feed my other five. In China, that might be the girl because son in their culture is more revered. So some countries have different cultural beliefs about the sexes of men, women, boys, and girls. So that's a really good question. Go ahead. Yeah. That's a great question because it turns out like at least 40% of um, kids and children who are trafficked are trafficked by their own families. Um, and then it becomes a very tricky line, right? Then you're really, you're looking for child abuse. Um, but, you know, it's the child um, who comes in with multiple injuries, right? Anything you'd be looking for child abuse. Um, the kid who acts very submissive or um, continues to wet the bed or does very, very poorly in school, right? And um, maybe acts out a lot, um, has a lot of issues socially. Um, these are big issues. What about, the, what about if they refuse to tell you who the father is? of their baby as a young girl is coming in and is pregnant. Right, so if the so the teen is being trafficked, right? The teen who's well, being pregnant, who's pregnant. Abused by her mm -hmm. father or someone in the family. Right. Exactly. So that's an excellent question and that one's harder to look for in terms of specifically trafficking. Most they have found in studies that most kids who have been trafficked by their families um, have been categorized as um, child neglect. Um, so it's a very interesting thing. I think as time goes on, um, we will sort of get a better picture of, we'll sort of be able to parse out um, trafficking. Now, the national database for um, DCFS or um, Child Protective Services, they have to, since like 2019, they started adding a category. So there's like neglect, there's sexual abuse, there's physical abuse, and they've added sex trafficking. And they take those reports up to age 24. So stay tuned. There will be more data on that, but it is kind of being um, paid attention to more now in the later in the latter years. Can I have one thing? Mm -hmm. um, I also had a patient that was um, being sold by her mother and her grandmother to um, pay for their crack habits or cocaine, whatever their drug was, from the time that she can remember, way back. So she may have been a toddler. Um, there's also a really good movie if you want to just have an idea about international trafficking. Um, it's called Nefarious, and it's by Benjamin Nolo. And if you haven't seen it, I think it really opens your eyes to the whole world of cyber sex. Pan we didn't mention this, but during the pandemic, a lot of the brothels that I used to go into, the women were forced online to start performing sex online. 
And so, you know, the whole climate of using the Internet is very hard to reach and find these people. Where are they being trafficked and where are they being held? Because it's in places that you can't imagine. Yes, way back there. It depends on their age. Um, if it's an adult, you have to discuss it with them because they may not, number one, realize they're being trafficked. They may think they're in love with their trafficker and not even know they're a victim of trafficking. Number two, they're adults, and while we may not agree with their choices, they may not be ready to leave yet. And as we talked about earlier, because of where the families are and the threat of harm to their family members and babies, they're making choices that are hard that we may not be able to understand, but we have to give them that right to make that and not be judgmental about it because we have no idea what they're facing. If they're a minor? Yes, if they're that's a minor. That's a different story. Right. So um, that's an excellent question. I would say most experts say yes. You want to keep the trust of the patient and you want to discuss with them why you're reporting them and that you are required to report. Good question. Oh, Go sorry. I Have you all had experiences um, with patients that are being trafficked and don't speak English and, like, their only translator is the trafficker? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Yeah, that's, a, that's important. Um, the question was that, have you had a, a patient that didn't speak the language and the translator happens to be the person who's trafficking them? And yes, that happens a lot, um, especially even right now, which we, there's so much we could spend like, hours on this, but with the Ukrainian refugee crisis right now, a lot, a lot of you maybe live in cities where there are this Ukrainian population coming in. And by the way, that country has all, all already been a place of desired um, individuals to be trafficked. Um, so now this has made it worse, where now they're crossing borders just to get out of their country, get out of the war, coming to the U.S. and in other countries and just find themselves trafficked. So yes, in that situation, you kind of do the similar things that you would do if it was somebody who just had a, a person over them that seemed very controlling and they weren't talking. You would say the same thing. I need to separate them, even though there is the translator there, but you would still do your best to separate them. Obviously, in the bigger hospitals, you have translations and you're able to get somebody. But in the smaller clinics, which is a large majority of healthcare workers, you don't have that. You're like, well, I don't speak Ukraine. I don't know anybody who does. But you definitely, you take that step. You separate them. You call. There's um, places you can, you can call, I guess. Um, there's um, national um, service lines where you can call to get translation. Um, you can use your Google Translate. You just do whatever you can to get them out, even if it sounds daunting. Like, I don't even know how to ask her anything. But we've had that on the um, Mexican border, um, not just with Spanish, but like so with Ukrainians and other countries coming in where you're thinking, I don't have anyone to speak this language, but I know this is suspicious. So you just you take your step at the moment and um, get them separated and then work on getting the translation. Yeah, and I think you also, um, so just saying you, you do want to, you don't want to make the trafficker suspicious, right, because a lot of them are really violent and, and your patient could be in a lot of danger once they leave the hospital or wherever you are. Um, so a lot of things I let, uh, you, want, you might want to frame as just hospital policy, clinic policy. This is just the way we do it with everybody, right? And then actually have a policy for that so that you can enforce it. I forget who asked the question. I'm trying to look at whoever asked it. Yeah. Um, but if you could, you know, make sure, you're like, you have a policy like that, um, then you can enforce it and just say, look, this is nothing. This is what we do with everybody, um, just so for safety of your patient. Mm -hmm. We still have time. I don't know what our time is. We have, two, we have five more minutes. Okay. Here, maybe. Thank you. Um, thank you for the training, first of all. I don't know if we've done human trafficking trainings before, mm -hmm. but this is awesome. So thank you. And I was just going to say, because um, I have an anti-trafficking nonprofit that I have awesome. in Dayton, Ohio, and I love the emphasis on looking into your local resources. A lot of these girls and boys, but a lot of them won't self-identify out of fear that they're not going to be taken care of, right, after the fact. So having those local resources will help to know who to connect them with. Um, but I was just going to say, we have, my, my nonprofit has discreet cards that you can give to them. So that right then and there, if they're not ready, if they don't want to say anything, 
you can give them a card and they can have information. I am more than happy to send those to anyone who would like them. If you don't have, you don't know who's in your area, or you don't know what to do, you can just give them, they're really small, give them cards. I'll send them to whoever wants them, um, just because that's such a huge part in getting them safe. Could y'all hear that over there? Um, she works, has a nonprofit, and so they give out cards to people that may not be ready to identify as being trafficked or get out of the situation, and so it's really helpful. And she said she would send those resources. We hand out lipstick tubes that look like a, they have a barcode on the side, but it actually is the phone number for the hotline. And um, some hospitals put on the discharge papers of someone who they know is a trafficked victim but not ready to leave. It looks like just the regular kind of, you know, barcode on a discharge paper, but it actually has a number in it to call for help. So there's a lot of creative resources. reminder to have a high index of suspicion all the time. Never let it down. So I think we're, done. we're going to have to call it quits here, but I know you had a question. You could come up maybe afterwards. Thank you. Um, yeah, we'd just like to close right now because we're at time, but we are available um, at right now. If you take any more questions, you want to come up to us as well. we just like to leave this little uh, tip of um, this, this is for Christian Medical and Dental Association. We have 12 modules that are available for healthcare providers that you can log into. And um, if you're already a member, it's part of your membership. If not, we encourage you to become a member. Um, and that we, we're going to be updating them actually this year. We're on the Human Trafficking Commission of um, Christian Medical and Dental Association. If anyone's interested, please see us. We, we'd love to um, either um, talk to you, work with you, see what we can do together. Uh, we have... Um, different references, but I would like to leave you with these verses as we close. Uh, the Bible says, to defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless, to maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. It also says to open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all those who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So as you go, this is a really dark subject. It's, it's gripping, it's emotional. Um, but as you know, it's real. And so we just want to encourage you, you can be the hope in the darkness. You can bring light. No matter where you're at, whether you're in a clinic or a student, like we said many times, you can bring hope. So I, want, I would lead with a challenge to ask the Lord, to pray, Lord, how can you use me? How can you use me where I'm at? Maybe you're in an organization that is working on it, or maybe you have no idea, but you're just in a school or at home or your mom. 
there's something everyone can do. So we appreciate you taking the time out to learn more. And again, we're here for you to, um, if you'd like to talk to us. Our booth, we're gonna, we have a table next to uh, the coffee in the CMDA um, on the aisle. If you're on the fellowship hall downstairs, go in the, where the, exhibit, the exhibit hall. You find the coffee, you get free coffee, and like to invite you to that. And our booth is right next door. It'll say Commission for Human Trafficking. Come by and see us. Thank you.